Right, I've sort of already prayed for Alenza, so I don't really need to pray for her again, but let's open our hearts and just pray that for, for ourselves that we have open hearts and minds to, to what God is going to share through Alenza this morning. Okay, so we refer to this season working up to Christmas Day as the Advent season. And I looked at the meaning of Advent in Wikipedia, and this is how it's described. Okay, it's not there. Advent is a season observed in many Christian churches as a time of expectant waiting and preparation for both the celebration of Jesus at Christmas and the return of Jesus at the second coming. Advent commences on the fourth Sunday before Christmas. This year, the Advent started on Sunday, 1st of December, and it ends on Christmas Eve. This year, it's going to be on Tuesday, 24th December. Some of the practices associated with Advent include keeping an Advent calendar, lighting an Advent wreath, daily devotions, setting up a Christmas tree, lighting up a Christingle, and in some places, they observe an Advent fast. So many of these practices have been added over the years, and I admit that I don't know how some of them originated. And since Advent means arrival, for many non-Christians, Advent is seen simply as a countdown to Christmas Day. So whatever Advent may mean to you and however you celebrate it, whether you welcome it or dread it, this morning I think it will be a good opportunity for us to stop and ask ourselves what exactly are we celebrating and what are we looking forward to. Now most of the verses or carols that we sing around this time revolves around Christ's birth. And I wanted to look this morning at this particular verse from Matthew 1.23. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, this was a quote by Matthew, one of the disciples of Jesus, and he was simply quoting a prophetic statement that was made uh, during the time of Isaiah, a prophet who lived about 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And during Matthew's time, this prophecy was fulfilled. So you can imagine the people of Isaiah's time. You know, how would they have been able to comprehend this prophecy? A virgin conception and birth, God coming to earth as a human, and God dwelling with us. And what about the waiting period? They didn't know how long they had to wait, but we know it took about 700 years. But despite how inconceivable or incomprehensible that prophecy would have been in those people's minds, it became a reality at the time of Matthew. Now, we don't often call Jesus as Emmanuel, but Emmanuel means God with us. And the birth of this baby boy would be the sign that God would come to earth as a man, becoming like us, thus fulfilling his promise during Isaiah's time. So I just want to look at uh, the celebration. I don't know if it's a celebration. I know that people go through uh, lots of issues even during this time. So, but I want to look at the word celebration and looking at the celebration of Advent through three lenses. So firstly, I want to look at Advent as God's promised coming to earth in the flesh, his first coming, the first Advent. Secondly, I want to look at Advent as Jesus coming into our hearts. This is celebrating the presence of the dwelling or the indwelling presence of God in our hearts. And thirdly, looking at Advent as Jesus' promised second coming. Now, looking at Advent celebration in the light of Jesus' first coming, 
So we look at uh, two verses, which is Matthew 1.23 and Isaiah 7.14. So Isaiah quoted it in this chapter and verse. So the verse is, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. So I want to look at um, what prompted Isaiah to give this prophecy. So we need to look at the story that happened during that time. So during that time, we had the north and the south kingdoms. Uh, The north was Israel and the south was Judah. And so the north kingdom, Israel had already, you know, it, it was going through a period of social depravity, moral depravity. It was going downhill. They rejected God and judgment was sure for the northern kingdom. But God was trying to preserve the southern kingdom, and the king at that time was King Ahaz. But Ahaz was a godless king. He disobeyed God. He, in fact, sacrificed his own children to the foreign gods. He built altars in, um, in, in Judah. And so it is in this context that Ahaz is now um, approached by Isaiah, because um, Ahaz knew that there was an imminent threat to Judah, because the northern kingdom, Israel, and another kingdom called Aram were planning to invade the southern kingdom of Judah. And Ahaz knew that there was this threat. So in the light of this threat, Ahaz is desperate now. So what does Ahaz try to do? There was a superpower at that time called Assyria, um, very popular for invading neighboring kingdoms. And so Ahaz thought, if only I could look to Assyria and ask for Assyria's help, then I could be protected from that invasion from the north. But then Isaiah approaches Ahaz and says, Ahaz, that's not how you need to go, because you have a God, the God of your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God of the kings before you, and you need to look to that king, the true king, and you need to seek his help. And so in this context, um, Isaiah gives this prophecy that Emmanuel, God, is with us. But Ahaz was a wicked king. He had already determined that he was not going to look to um, God and he was determined to look to Assyria for help. And judgment was sure. Ahaz not only tried the patience of man, because Ahaz was, uh, Isaiah kept prompting him to see God's help. In fact, Isaiah even told Ahaz, okay, even if you don't believe, if you want to build your confidence, ask God for a sign in heaven or in earth, and God will confirm his protection over the land. But even then, he rejected that um, promise from Isaiah. So he incurred the judgment of God. And what happened was, it was not just Israel and Aram that got destroyed. It was not just Judah that got destroyed. Eventually, even Assyria got destroyed. So there are lots of parallels that we can draw from the life of Ahaz and our world today. The prophecy that was given was Emmanuel, God with us. That prophecy had an immediate application during Ahaz's time that God was going to be with you. If you look to him, he would provide you the much-needed protection and the future and the hope that you're looking for. But this prophecy also had a far-reaching application much later on with the birth of Jesus, um, uh, who, with the birth of Jesus coming to this earth as a man, as, as a child. The parallels that we can draw from Ahaz's life and the world today, just as Ahaz was disobedient and rejected God, even the world today rejects and disobeys God. Even we can also testify of a time when we lived far away from God. But just as God was offering a chance to redeem them and to give them a hope and a future, God is also in the process of giving us a hope and future. Ahaz must have been afraid of some physical enemy out there, and it was very real. But we have a real enemy, Satan, 
And that threat is very real. An enemy that has taken us captive, an enemy that has st stolen our de uh, uh, destiny, destroyed our hopes and our futures. But God wants to give us an offer here that if we follow him, if we accept him, then we can be redeemed from the grip of the enemy. And finally, Ahaz's story is also a reminder for us that, you know, God could have chosen to actually abandon the whole nation. God could have chosen to put a stop to all of that, to, to all of him reaching out. But it was his grace that reached out to, God, to reach out to humanity. And then he continued on till the promise was fulfilled with the birth of Jesus. And we see that in our own lives, that the grace of God still prevails. That he can choose to ignore, he can choose to uh, stop coming after us, but he chooses to give out his grace through the blood and through the, uh, through the blood of Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus. <clears throat> so for me, this sign that God gave, Emmanuel, God with us, is a testament to God's enduring qualities, his faithfulness, his offer of hope, constantly pouring this out into the world, even when the world rejects him. So both the North and South Kingdoms were destroyed because of their rejection and disobedience, and their people were taken captive by the enemies. But God's plan did not end with the captivity of his people. God's sign, Emmanuel, would still prevail, will still be fulfilled in spite of the disobedience and godlessness of the North and the South. God hasn't said no to us. So what a marvelous God we have in our midst. It should fill us with hope that no matter what we see or hear, whatever is happening around us, that God is Emmanuel. And he is able to fulfill his promises in spite of all the darkness around us. Because the world does not have the final say. God has the final word. And it's Emmanuel. God is with us. And he's got a plan. And he's faithful to accomplish it. So we want to look at how God kept his word to the north and the, the northern and the southern kingdoms. What happened to the north kingdom? What happened to the south? Isaiah actually prophesied about the north and the south. Isaiah said, land of Zebulun and Naphtali, which is the northern part, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the shadow of death have seen a great light. Because Jesus was Jesus of Nazareth. This is where Jesus came. And this is where he preached. His ministry began in Nazareth. This is where the chance was offered. You know, 700 years. And then later on with Jesus growing up as a little boy and as a man, he started preaching. And this is where he started. The Galilee of the Gentiles. And what happened to the south? Isaiah 9, 7 says, He will reign on David's throne, which is Jesus, establishing it and upholding it from that time on forevermore. Isaiah 11.10 says, In that day, the root of Jesse, David's root, will be a banner for the people, and the nations will rally to him. So David was from the south, and Jesus was from the line of David. So God didn't ignore them. We see that he you know, fulfilled his promise, that out of the darkness, something good will come. So I think today, when we look at Advent and the Christmas season uh, advancing, we need to pray that we can cling on to the hope that God offers. I mean, that hope has to rise in our hearts first before we can give it to the world around us. We need to bring this hope to our families, our social circles, our neighborhoods. And I've thought about this as to how best I can be used by God 
as a light to the nations. And I've, I've, I've thought about it, and I think what we need to look at is which are the areas that we influence people most. It could be in your families, it could be in your parenting, it could be in your workplaces, but where has God placed you? Where you exercise authority, where you exercise influence. And I think that's the place where we have to start opening our eyes and asking God to use us. And I must admit, for the longest time at work, um, other than being courteous and nice and doing my job, I think I was quite close to the fact that God could actually use me in the workplace. Till one day it dawned on me that these questions that I was asking uh, to people were actually a cue for me to pray about them and to see how God can open doors for them to lead them to Christ. So I think it's important, like today we heard about how, um, you know, you might be the only Christian in your house. Uh, I think Claire was talking about how, you know, as she's got grandchildren and she's the, area, she's the main influential person to speak about Christ to them. So you might be the one that God's calling to uh, spread your influence, uh, speaking about Christ and being the hope to your families and workplaces. But I also found that just because you have that authority and influence in my own life, I feel like it has not been easy because the area where God uses you most will be the area where you come uh, to the realization of your own shortcomings and weaknesses. It is also the place where you are tested most as a Christian sometimes. And I believe that even if God is using you in whatever sphere of influence, you might be going through challenges yourself as you deal with issues of your own heart. But I found that if you stick to God and keep calling on him, the breakthrough will happen and, you know, the light that is there meant to shine will shine brighter. So it is not without its challenges. Even the areas of work and family and parenting has its challenges. But God's working in you as much as he's working the lives of others through you. I want to look at the second aspect of Advent, which is um, celebrating the presence of God in us. So John 14, 17 says, God will not just be with us, but he will be in you or he will be in us. Jesus is not just a partial presence of God with us. He is God in all his fullness in a human body, Colossians 2, 9. So Jesus wants to identify with us in our humanity and struggles. He has promised never to leave us. He's promised to be our help. And throughout the Bible, we read stories and events that reiterate this message that God is with us. So in one sense, yes, God is omnipresent. He's present everywhere. And he's there for anyone who calls out to him. In fact, there are so many testimonies I've heard of people who've had encounters with God the first time when they simply called out to a God. Is there a God out there? So in one sense, God is with anybody who calls out to him. And we sung songs this morning about calling out to God in the darkness. But the Bible speaks about God living in our hearts. It's giving him the license to own you completely. Because God has given everything for your release, for your deliverance, and to give you a hope and a future. I've had to think about why does God want to have a claim over our lives? Why does he want to dwell within us and own us? I think when you look at nature, when you look at the beauty of um, the creation around you, you know, it evokes in you a sense of wonder and awe and praise. And when we say, wow, it's actually giving um, you know, cred credit to the creator behind it. It is giving glory to God. Creation gives glory. The Bible says that we have been created and we are the people, we are the, his, uh, we are the, um, you know, the pinnacle of his creation that can best glorify him. 
But we don't look at ourselves like that. We don't go, wow, but God's spirit dwells in us as a Christian. And there is something to give credit to the creator. The Westminster Catechism, it's a summary of a book of common prayers. So there are so many questions, and this is the first question that the Westminster Catechism says. So what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So in that sense, it is us having God's spirit dwelling in us so that we can have an intimate and personal relationship with him. But I like this quote from... John Piper, who is a, a pastor, an American pastor, who was actually looking at this catechism and he coined it and rephrased it in the way he wanted to communicate it best. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. I think God wants to dwell in us because it is only with his presence dwelling in us we can enjoy God you know, at its best and our ultimate satisfaction is only found in him. There is a desire and there is a craving in each one of us to go for things that satisfy us at a deep level. And we, if we don't know God, yes, we find our, uh, we, we try to look for it in lots of places and avenues. We find that all of that does not um, satisfy at its, in its fullest sense. But this is where God wants to come into our life and dwell in us so that we can enjoy him and glorify him the best. I don't know if you remember the story of the woman at the well. Uh, Jesus uh, was talking to the Samaritan woman and um, she was known to be a woman who, was, who had multiple husbands and was, not living, um, was living with a man who was, whom she was not married to. And there was this desire in her. She was looking for something to satisfy that innermost need. And she went looking for it in relationships. But Jesus knew where that gap was, where the vacuum was. And Jesus approaches her and says, I can give you something, a water in you that can well up forever and ever so that you will never thirst for these things in outside places but I can fill that thirst. So in one sense, God wants to give you his presence so that you can be satisfied and find your joy and relationship and all that you're looking for met in him. Ephesians 3.17 says that Christ dwells in our hearts. So God first dwelt with Adam, but he sinned and he fell out of a relationship with God. Then he called the nation of Israel and then he said, okay, it is with you as a people group that I'm going to dwell with. So he dwelled through the tabernacle, which is like a mobile worshiping place. His presence was there. And then he dwelt in the temple, which is a permanent worshiping place. But even they sinned, they rebelled. And God's presence left the temple. But God is faithful. He promised that a day would come, a new day, a new way of relationship with God. That he would send his spirit to dwell inside his people. And that's fulfilled in our time. If you want Christ in all his fullness to dwell in you, it is important to acknowledge your sin. Because I don't know where you are in your relationship with God. Maybe you have a casual relationship. Maybe you know of him and you have experienced his favors at various points in your lives. But maybe Christ doesn't live in you and you're not sure. If you want God to dwell in all his fullness in you, it's important to come to him. Acknowledge the sin, because it was sin that separated us from God. We need to repent and turn away from sin and receive Jesus into our lives. Jesus has promised that his spirit will dwell in you forever. I think sometimes more than our desire to be with him, it's his desire to be with us that stands out when I read the Bible.
I don't know if you, uh, are, uh, you know of this um, evangelist uh, called Reinhard Bonke. He died yesterday. He was 79 years old. He's one of the evangelists, I think, has been credited for about, to reaching millions of people. Um, I think in history, he's, he's the one who's reached out to the most number of people. So there was an interview that Reinhard Bonke had with an atheist, and uh, the atheist uh, speaks to him and says, okay, tell me, Mr. Bonke, you talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus. You talk about his blood being shed for the sins of this whole, whole world. And how come lots of people in this world are still living in sin and still not living in a relationship with God? So Reinhard Bonke replies and says, let me tell you one thing, that there is soap in this world. Now, just, even though soap exists in this world, not everybody is clean. Unless you take soap and apply it to yourself, you cannot be clean. So although you're hearing about Jesus and his blood being shed, although you are in Christian circles, if you don't apply to yourself, if you don't take that stand and appropriate for yourself, then it doesn't become a reality for you. So it's very important that you acknowledge that sin and you ask God to come into your life. God says that when his spirit dwells in us, we become the children of God. He becomes our father and he has promised to look after us till the very end. How about us as Christians who know that we have accepted Jesus, made that commitment, and we know the Holy Spirit lives in us? In 2 Corinthians 13.5, Paul is now speaking to a group of spirit-filled believers. And this is what he says. Do you not realize that Christ lives in you? What's gone wrong here? Why did he ask them that, you know, whether they realized it or not? Because I don't know if they just related to God as an outside helper, but didn't have that intimate relationship that the Spirit was brought into their lives to have. So maybe you have invited Jesus, but there is no relationship there. I think this time is a good time to ask ourselves, why is there a block in our relationship with God or in our fellowship with him? Maybe you've just become indifferent over the years or you've become too preoccupied uh, with the worries or responsibilities of our times. Or maybe we just have, we want to follow our own agendas or we're just living in willful disobedience. If you look at a pipe and water flowing through the pipe, the water is there, the pipes are there, but if there's a block, water can't go past the block. So there must be some sort of a block that we need to understand and we need to ask God to show what that obstruction is. Sometimes it might just be that God is calling you to a place of deeper intimacy, of deeper growth, maturity, and maybe he's just calling you to uh, seek him more. So unless you make that intentional time to seek him, uh, listen to his word, you may not be ready for the next level. So it could be anything. I don't know what it is, but these are some of the areas that I found in my own life that has been um, a reason for which I've not walked in intimacy or fellowship with God. But at the time, I didn't know it, but coming to God in prayer and spending time uh, with, with him in his presence, the Holy Spirit has revealed this to me. I want to look finally at the third lens of Advent, which is celebrating his second coming. So we have Christmas now. We celebrate the birth of Jesus, but I didn't know Advent is looking forward to the second coming until I read Wikipedia and... Um, it is looking for, to the second coming too. We have Easter celebrating the birth and resurrection of Jesus. We have Pentecost that's celebrating the coming of his spirit. And yet the second coming is often missed out in all of this. I know, I mean, at least for me, I don't talk about it. 
I don't intentionally go and listen to sermons on it, but I do hear it in passing. And we don't have any symbols that, you know, that denote that second coming of Christ as we would have wreaths or um, lights or candles, all symbolic. I don't know what it is, but I did look it up. I thought maybe an alpha and omega, the beginning and end would be symbolic of the second coming. I think one of the reasons why we struggle or maybe we don't talk about the second coming is because most of us think automatically about Revelations, the book of Revelations. And uh, there's a lot of mystery around it. But actually, if you read the Bible through the Old Testament and through the Gospels, there's lots of references to Christ talking about the second coming and how it's so important to be alert, to be aware, and to be prepared for that. In one sense, I feel the first, the first coming of Jesus must have been hard enough to comprehend. The virgin birth and his con- uh, yeah, the conception, the birth, and God coming you know, as a man. It might be uh, as a baby, but it might be hard for you to comprehend the first coming. And I can imagine how challenging it is to look forward to a second coming. But like most things scripturally, most things concerning the word, yes, we need to apply our mind and our body, our intellect to it. But at its core, we can only understand the Bible with the revelation that God gives. So it is important that we approach all of these things in the light of the revelation that God gives through his spirit. So why should we focus on the second coming? Because in one sense, if you focus on the second coming, it gives us an idea as to how to live in the light of this future coming of Christ. Because when you don't have any goal ahead to look forward to, we, that we run the risk of being um, complacent, lukewarm, ineffective, demotivated. And at its worst, we run the risk of drifting away from God. So how do we live in the light of his second coming? The Bible doesn't specify when this was going to happen, but there are some key words that it talks about. The Bible encourages us to wait patiently, uh, to be watchful, and to be ready. And there's a, uh, there's a famous um, uh, parable that Jesus uh, talks about, about the ten virgins who, who had to wait for their bridegroom um, to arrive, but they didn't know when the bridegroom would arrive. And in the meantime, they had these uh, lamps filled with oil. And as long as the oil was burning, they had the light, uh, um, the light shining. But out of the ten virgins, uh, five of them didn't bother to be alert. When their oil ran out, they didn't bother to fill it up. So when the bridegroom arrived, they were not prepared. They didn't have the light to meet him. And so it was quite late. It's quite late if when the coming happens, you're just going to get the oil. So... Um, Looking at that story, God has, he doesn't tell us when, but he tells us to be patient. Even with the first coming, you know, they didn't know the time frame. We don't know the time frame, but at least let's be patient. We need to be watchful because it's very easy to be distracted. And we know that it's a daily struggle uh, to be watchful and to keep, you know, Christ at the center of our lives. But it's important to be watchful even in the midst of all our responsibilities And we need to be ready because otherwise it'll be like the oil running low. And we just don't have what it takes to be prepared to meet Jesus when he comes again. I was just looking at these three words, being patient, being watchful, being ready. And it sounded like preparations towards Christmas Day, actually. And at its core, living this life in the light of his second coming, this is how it looks. We live our lives in a way that's pleasing to God. 
We need to be diligent with reading the word of God, praying, need to be in fellowship with one another. We need to share God's love to the world, to walk in forgiveness and to walk in humility and to be fruitful in our Christian growth. These are some of the things that we can have as checks in our lives to ensure that we are there, we are ready anytime when Jesus comes. On Jesus' last day on this earth, with his disciples, he was in Jerusalem, and suddenly, before their eyes, he's just lifted up in the air. And then the Bible says the disciples just stood there gazing at him going up, and an angel of the Lord uh, speaks to them and says, why are you looking, at, looking up at him like this? The same way you saw him go up, he's going to come down again like this. But in the meantime, you've got to be busy doing his work and being his witnesses. So in conclusion, Advent is a very prophetic season in terms of what has already been fulfilled so that we can look back and reflect on it and in terms of what is yet to be fulfilled. And in order to accomplish both, God is our Emmanuel. He became our Emmanuel. Jesus' birth didn't happen suddenly in history, but there were countless prophecies given in advance and all of them were fulfilled. Likewise, God has already prepared us through his word that he will come again and his kingdom and his rule will be finally established. And in light of this future prophecy, let's be watchful, ready, and patient towards the second advent too. The Bible says in Revelations 21.3, one day we will celebrate his second coming. And the verse says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. So it is a season of hope and joy for us and for the whole world. And that's why it is a season to celebrate as God, Emmanuel, is with us and he's promised to be with us even till the end of time. So I just wanted to um, actually give some time to reflect on what I've said, but also give us some time to look at how we can respond. Um, I think it's very important to ask ourselves seriously, am I living my life with the fullness of God within me? Um, and I think it's important to be sincere about it because God wants you to enjoy him fully, like the chocolate we heard. Um, and we have to live that authentic Christian life and we have to understand that we need his help every step of the way. Some things might be hard for you to accept because God might be challenging you. Some things will just, you know, just immediately release some revelation, giving you insight as to where the block was. But I think it's important to just spend some time reflecting on it. And, um, and if you need prayer, you know, we are here to pray with you, for you. Uh, but I'm just going to give this time to spend some time in prayer and reflection.